Accelerating Careers in Real Estate with Nick Carman. Brought to you by McDonald & Company. The Accelerating Careers in Real Estate podcast is now supported by the Urban Land Institute. To find out more about becoming a member, please follow the link in the show notes, remembering to quote the promo code ACRE to take advantage of all the benefits of our partnership. More details at the end of this podcast. This evening, I'm sat with Sarah Carey, Executive Director of Place for Enfield Council. She's responsible for the council services that rely on the built environment, from the bins to the buildings, as she aptly puts it. She's an academic background in urban design, international development and planning policy, with a PhD in town planning. Prior to joining Enfield, Sarah spent nearly 10 years with British Land, where she was most recently head of Sustainable Places. Sarah, thank you very much for joining me. Very, very pleased to be here, Nick. Uh, well, so let's get started, shall we? Uh, how does, uh, tell us all uh, how, uh, how this journey began and let's start how uh, Chapter 1 began for you. So Nick, I think the journey the journey for my career begins actually when I'm stuck as a teenager. I had to drive to school in a car and the journey of my career begins stuck in a traffic jam in Dallas, Texas, after school, sort of really quite bored and frustrated and wondering why it had the world had to be this way and why I couldn't just kind of walk around and do the things that I wanted to do as a teenager who was learning to explore the world. And so I grew up uh, in very suburban bit of Dallas, Texas, and I went to a school that was very far from my house. And I also had to drive my brother's school. So I spent for most of my teenage years, about two hours a day in the car driving to go to school and back. And as a teenager, as you can tell, just immensely frustrated me. And it really got me thinking about why like, people live the way they do, how they live. And by this point, I traveled around America enough to know that it didn't, not everyone lived this way, that some people walked to school, some people rode bicycles, some people got the train and sort of wondered why I was having to, in some ways, what I felt like be constrained by the environment that I lived in. Um, but I was also quite kind of eco-warrior as a teenager, as many people are, and fundamentally understood that having lots of detached housing with lawns that needed watering every day in the Texas heat, with everyone having several cars and driving to everything, was probably not the best thing for the planet. And so I started studying and sort of directing my courses and things, my exams, when they gave you freedom to kind of investigate something, into what in this country we call urban planning. And this was a bit of a surprise to my family and my parents who, who are almost entirely uh, work in the medical profession or are involved in science in some way. Um, first of all, that I might be interested in something else, but then also that it's actually quite a commercial profession, the real estate in particular. And kind of surprised that uh, interested why I might be, in, you know, why I wanted to study what was effectively real estate to, in their mind. So I ended up going to university to do something in America, which is quite, I think it's a quite good thing called a liberal arts degree. And it's sort of like, you don't have to specialize. You can continue doing your university degree with a mix of different courses from different aspects of, of study. And it's generally done as a precursor to a master's degree where you do specialize. But I, at the University of Texas at Austin, I was able to do 
courses in the architecture school, courses in urban design and kind of landscape design, but then also at the sociology department, learning about the his, kind of how cities affect people's minds and the way that societies are put together. And just the combination of being able to choose some different things really kept my interest in in cities and how we could make them better for people and for the planet. So I, I must we got the benefit of chatting before we came online and you, um, and you threw that curveball whereby you, you explained you were actually sort of born in, uh, uh, in in Dallas and I never picked up with that on, on your accent. What was the what was the catalyst then for moving them from from the US to the UK? So I moved to London to study to do a master's degree and it was called Building an Urban Design and International Development and it was at UCL in the Bartlett. Um, and in their School of Department for International Development. So really focused on this kind of what was talked at the time of being like the global challenge of cities. So for the first time in humanity, more people lived in cities than they did in villages. And to this day, we still around the world have very large mega cities with huge numbers of people changing the way they live and coming to cities to work and to better their lives. And most of those cities have challenges, um, very big challenges about um, whether it's access to clean water or to, to fresh air or climate change challenges in terms of flooding and, and, and overheating. And it's you know, one of the reasons why London's a top global city is that it's managed those challenges in the last you know, 30 or 40 years really well. Historically, it's had its own, but in the last 30 or 40 years really well. Um, so I came over to London to study and I, ca- I wanted to leave the US to study because of, because of 9-11, actually. I, during, when that happened in, in America, I had a very different reaction than most of my, than a lot of the people that I spent time with to what we should we could have a mo- different emotional reaction, actually. And a lot of them really, really wanted to go to war. And it was a very fearful time for a lot of my family and friends and my social network. But it, I had a different reaction and it made me want to know more about the rest of the world and more about how different people had responded to that or thought of America or what wanted to live differently. I can't, it's hard to put into words, but I knew I wanted to study abroad for my master's degree. And I spoke fairly good Spanish at the time, but thought actually trying to do a master's degree in a foreign language was a bit of a step and that Australia was a little bit like America. So let's, I ended up in London instead, and I'm really, really glad I did. But from the day I got off the plane, I've just really loved the, loved London as a city to live in and really, over time, come to value and really enjoy the way that the United Kingdom manages its whole landscape and the way that they manage their cities. In the Texas and in particularly around Dallas, where I grew up, there was no, there was very limited control over development very linked to health and safety issues more than more than anything else and it that's changing and it is uh, but te- texas and other bits of america have quite good planning systems but when i grew up they were you this sort of sprawl of taking over the countryside meant that it was really hard to access and enjoy that whereas in the uk i you know, i do really value the planning system and the framework because i've come from a country which doesn't have it at all and it doesn't have that level at all it has some of it when you um, when you arrived in the UK, had, did you know how long you're going to stay for? <laughs> I, so I I told my parents I was going to stay for for a year because to do my one year's master's degree. But I knew about two weeks after living here that 
I wasn't probably not going to leave. And there, there are uh, the main reason for that. And I know people talk about always worried about women's safety, but London compared to almost any other large global city is an incredibly safe place, particularly for younger women. And it was it was having lived in Latin America and actually having lived in Dallas, where you would not walk around after dark as by yourself as a as a woman and particularly as a young woman coming to a place like London where actually, you know, you needed to have your wits about you and you needed, you know, to be careful. But you could do that with a level there were other people doing it and you could enjoy the city as an individual and kind of on your own terms. And I just, I, it was just so freeing for me that I sort of thought I'm going to stay here for a bit and then we'll see. I might move on to go to another city, go do some, you know, another country, go do something else. But then life sort of sucks you into, in, into a specific location as you get older. Definitely. And I still really love London. I, I live in central London and I still love the balance of, you know, really intense urban areas with, a lot of local local parks and pocket parks and access to green space, access to water through the river and the canals, as well as the culture and the kind of food and kind of fun of that can London can bring. No doubt to your parents' disappointment, you cho- you choose to sort of start your career then in, uh, in London as well. Tell us about sort of um, what happens sort of post university and sort of uh, the opportunities that presented themselves. So here I am, fresh out of a master's degree and needing a, a visa to stay on and work in the UK. But I was, uh, I spent the next sort of six, seven years of my career, a little bit longer than that, actually, moving between a series of different jobs, which gave me very different perspective on uh, real estate and development in the UK. So I spent, you know, I did very short piece of work with Urbed on sustainability in London suburbs. I had a really great two, three years working with Beyond Green, which was a kind of really strong environmental consultancy working on master planning and urban design on projects across the UK where we were really encouraged to think comprehensively about a place and bring in new technologies and new ways of designing cities and kind of open the box a lot on what could be done on a place and that was such an exciting thing to be doing as a as a young graduate in the industry rather than being a cog in a machine but I also got lots of different perspectives in that time because I then went on to work for a planning consultancy for a short period of time and then on to a project management consultancy again for a couple of years and that period of time where I was moving around a lot but I got very different perspectives of diff- all the all of the things that are needed to make that really make developments come to life you know they're never just one architect and their vision you hope there are hundreds of people who work on a successful development or a successful bit of real estate or a successful bit of city, often thousands if you talk about a city. And I got a lot of, I got good exposure to all the different professions that are needed to make cities function and, and to bring them to life. And I, that's been really helpful for me over my career. And I, I still encourage other people who are coming into the industry that even if you did a degree in project management or a degree in planning like I did or a degree in architecture, actually spending a year or two in another profession is really helpful for them in the long term. And it's been incredibly beneficial to me because I could sit in design team meetings and just understand the language that other people were using, but also feel comfortable calling them out and saying, wait a minute, we could do this differently if you thought about it that way, because I spent enough time knowing that like actually you, your way of doing it it's not the only way there are different I've seen enough sides of the different professions that come into it so 
that as a kind of beginning of a career has really helped shape a kind of collaboration approach that I've tried to bring, particularly at Enfield now, that you do need lots of different professions to make a place work really well. Okay, really good stuff. I'm going to ask you sort of two reflection sort of questions on uh, on, the, on the back of mm. that, and then and then we'll move on. What do you think you most enjoyed about that chapter? When I look back on it, what I most enjoyed was meeting a real diversity of people from different bits of the industry. You know, I met some really hilarious clients who showed up at meetings with really weird views of, on life. I got to meet some really passionate, detailed heritage architects, got to meet people who just really loved running viability appraisals and developments. And that kind of gives you the real, you know, you're in an industry which actually can hold within it a lot of different personalities and backgrounds. It's, I, I know we talk a lot about diversity in the, in the real estate industry these days, and I fully support bringing in a broader breadth of backgrounds and mindsets, but it is actually a really professionally diverse industry. And that has a lot of different, you know, like kind of styles of working, personality types in it and i think that's great i really enjoyed that during that time um okay good and and I've, a bit of sort of self-reflection what do you think you were like in those earliest days oh um i grew up in a household where it was really encouraged to compete with your siblings and i also went to a school where it was really it was kind of class rankings and you were, were a thing and you were encouraged to do very well and i so I probably have a sneaking suspicion I was probably a little bit of a know-it-all and a little bit competitive. Um, I hope I've tempered that over time, but you've spoken, maybe maybe some other people will tell me otherwise. Well, maybe it was a bit of a sucker punch, to be honest, because um, I, have, I have got one answer, but I, I, I'll, you didn't worry too much. This, this is a, an extraordinary sort of complimentary answer. So I, I spoke to someone who, who worked with you quite closely at, um, at TNT in those early days, uh, and, and this, this is what they said. So they described you as their mentor, someone they looked up to. But one thing they sort of took away from sort of the time you you spent together when you were working together was that even at an early stage within your career, you had immense confidence. Mm-hmm. And they just this is a they told me a sort of anecdote about a Christmas party, um, whereby at TNT you spotted the chairman, his wife, the CFO, all having a chat at the Christmas party, and you grabbed this uh, this young chap's sort of uh, arm and said, right. We need to go and meet them. And you dragged this sort of graduate across the room, introduced him to the, the chairman and the, the CFO, and you started up a conversation, which this individual sort of describes as you having a conversation on um, on a level with uh, with these guys, uh, as if you sort of worked with them for sort of uh, 20 years. And he obviously, you know, this obviously made an impression on him because it, it, this is something he, he remind, remembers sort of very, very fondly about wanting to get to know the people who within these organizations what they think and wanting to do the same for your own uh, views as well so whether it's competitive or whether it's sort of confidence in your own abilities it's, uh, that's obviously there in the very very earliest days as well does that does that ring true with you it does ring true and i said to my answer that it was you know i was encouraged to compete but i was at a particularly what in america is what's called high school i went to um an all an all girls school during that time and there was just such a belief in the school and on the teachers that we were all really capable, that we should just go on to do great things. And it's really, I think, really got into my head in a big way. And I'm, I'm very pleased about it over time. But yeah, no, it, I can see, I remember that, that evening very well, actually. 
going back to the, the original sort of theme of uh, of the pod, and we talk about sort of chapters and sort of periods of which you're accelerating. Now, with the benefit of hindsight, you know, we, we know that that period at, um, at TNT comes to an end. Am I right in thinking that that's because you then were ready to learn something new? You were looking for a, for a new challenge? And, and if so, wh- what do you think you were looking for? I really, like, I, I think during that time, and actually through a lot of my career, I've, well, I would call myself a planner. I've not specialized in the intricacies of town planning only. I've really enjoyed learning about this, you know, different aspects of the built environment and how they all come together. And so while I might not have been looking for a totally new, like something totally different, I, I do enjoy new challenges and particularly the learning side of it. So understanding and kind of, I just really enjoy figuring out how things work at the end of the day, I think in cities. And so I was probably pushing within Turner and Townsend to kind of get involved in other aspects of the business because it did have a big consultancy and was doing lots of things around the world. And that was great for me as an opportunity to be able to say, oh, to see what else I could do. Okay. And then so tell us a bit more about sort of what happens after the Turner and Townsend days. Where did that lead you to? I was asked by a recruitment recruitment consultancy if I would be interested in applying for a role at British Land. And at the time, I didn't know much about them. But, you know, I, I do my research. But the interview process, there was seven interviews to, that I went through for the job. And by the time I was in the third one, I, I was pretty clear that this would be a really, really, really interesting job for, for me and that I could also bring something to the company. And those dual things was always what you want in a, in a job. That's something you want to do, but that you know you can add some value. And it was a role where they needed someone who knew a lot about environmental matters in cities, but also enough about planning that they could help with that. And over time, enough about design and construction that they also could influence those processes to be more sustainable. And so it, as someone who'd done quite a few different things early on in her career, felt really like a, a really good next step to be able to say, actually, I, you know, I haven't specialized in just one thing. I do know a fair amount. I do have this passion and a kind of very strong view about how we could build buildings better to be better for the environment. So it felt like an opportunity I could really something, as I said, where I could add value. And I was also shepherded through that process by what became one of two really great uh, managers and mentors that I had at British Land and knew early on that this is a place where not only um, could I bring something, but I would learn a lot and I could have someone who'd be helping me learn through that process. So I, my, the next chapter of, those, of my career is spending time at British Land with some you know, working with some really impressive people who I, I still feel really privileged to have been kind of mentored by and who've helped, who've really helped me grow as a person um, and as a, as a professional as well. So given the stage that we're at now in these very earliest stages of, of British land, you know, you know, we're going to be in a very steep sort of learning, accelerating sort of curve once more. But in particular, tell us a bit more about sort of what you were learning uh, most at that stage. When I joined British Land, it was a very, it has changed quite dramatically, but it was a very small, it was a small, very corporate, I would describe it, organization. But also, I was by far and away one of the youngest people there. So I 
the transition, it was quite a big transition from being in like a big global consultancies with lots of young people doing projects, all of, you know, of lots of different kinds of projects to be coming to working for a, a smaller and I don't want to use the word conservative, but probably more formal and, and corporate organization in the way that they worked and felt. And I tried to adapt the way that I worked to that. And as part of that, I had some really good mentors and bosses and management who helped me learn the way that British Land worked by giving me lots of time to shadow them and to just sort of be there, even if I wasn't having to do something or even if my job was to ask some questions as part of the meeting. And that that opportunity that you get in a career to just sit and watch and listen was another way for me of really learning. And what I particularly learned was some not sure that I, I'm always amazing at it, but I really, I learned a lot from British Land about how to, how to lead, how to client, but also how to influence others in a, a kind of subtle and more reflective way. And I think that comes from the, the culture of British Land, but also the culture and kind of personalities of some of the people that I worked with uh, throughout my time there. And as a, a and as a slightly confident, one might say, brash American, um, it was a really good thing to be learning, and it did take me a couple of years to learn. Okay, really interested. Now, again, going back to um, a bit of my sort of research, I actually I spoke to one or two of those uh, those mentors from that time, and I and I asked them what what they remember as sort of being one of your most prominent traits. And they they described it very succinctly as sort of Sarah's uh, ability and sort of confidence to ask the why. She never settles for the answer because that's how it's been done in the past. Now it sounds really simple, doesn't it? But I wanted to ask you sort of where you thought maybe that that came from. Why were you always willing to sort of challenge the status quo? Why did you want to get to the bottom of some of these these problems? Yeah, I I do think it's partially inherent in my personality you know you can imagine the frustrated teenager going like why do I have to sit in this traffic like there are better ways of doing things aren't there somewhere and better ways of getting around better ways of enjoying things and then I would also say that my time at Beyond Green where I spent years questioning whether we could build cities that were better for the planet and better for people by really opening the box and asking quite big questions you know at one point spent some time researching whether you could design like different sewage treatments for villages in the UK you know these are quite big (laughs) questions about could you fundamentally design cities that are radically different that those things all lead to my ability to kind of go actually could we do it differently and is there a different way of looking at it and then because I had spent time in different professions that also gave me confidence to say look I I've, been, I've kind of seen the other side of that. It isn't always set in stone that way. And so I felt comfortable and confident to kind of nudge. But then what I think I learned at British Land is, is a way of doing that that wasn't, that was more subtle or more to try and take people on the journey with me. I have a very, very distinct memory of leaving a meeting in which one of my management, one of my bosses at British Land turned to me and said, Sarah, sometimes you have to give people the time to figure it out for themselves. So I learned to ask questions about why, or could we make this better? Could we make it better for the planet, make it better for residents? By not sort of saying, here's the answer, and saying, why can't we do this way? Could we do it that way? But sort of trying to ask people, well, why have you thought about it this way? Have you considered that? 
Or maybe can I ask you to go away and think about it from this perspective and letting the professionals in the room, because we are, you know, come up with the right, come up with a really good, but different and hopefully better answer. I want to have a quick sort of follow up question to that. Has that sort of questioning ever got you into trouble? Uh, and, and sort of, and you mentioned about your age there, sort of, uh, uh, British land. You know, were you ever sort of told to, you know, to butt out or just stay in your lane? And, and if so, how did you deal with it? I probably was told that many times, but by, by, by in a British way that I probably didn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of a specific example. And there's not a time... I definitely remember projects where I was like, oh, we could have done that better. I'm going to have to settle for this. And I can remember that, but I don't remember ever being kind of on a personal level being kicked back or kicked out of things. But I do suspect I probably just didn't hear it. A couple of <laughs> <times>. <laughs> so just for context, Sarah, you, you spend 10 years at British Land. You start off and spend the majority of that, that time within the the development department but then latterly you move into a, a more corporate role with with quite different sort of stakeholders what would you say is the one thing that helped you to make that transition yeah there was a really specific program that i was part of after being a bit aboriginal for about five years they asked if i sort of asked if i wanted to join a a mentoring program specifically aimed at women who could be stepping up to become a, a senior manager or a kind of executive manager in, a, in, in companies. And it was specifically aimed at women working in the FTSE 100. And it was a fairly intensive year-long program in which you were exposed. You had a cohort that you were sort of spending time with and reflecting on, but a mentor and then a series of meetings uh, exposed to very senior women um, in government and in FTSE 100 who as role models effectively and that combination for me was transformative in me thinking about what I could do with my career and if you remember that I come from a background of scientists and medics and I didn't have a network or kind of people I could approach to understand like you know, you've got a possible job interview. How do you internally in a FTSE 100 network so that you can get that next, you know, you can get the job that you want to get? Or how do you deal with a board? How do you deal when um, a specific, you know, with a, when legal counsel comes to you and wants you to do something? And these are questions I didn't have anyone to go to. And this network and the cohort of women I was working with suddenly became a real amazing resource for me. And then combined with a, a mentor and a series of role models, meant that by the end of that year, I had a very strong vision for what I wanted to do with my career in four or five years. And it was definitely a, a step up in my belief about what I could do than where I had been before I entered that program. And it pushed me, you know, you talk about I'm being very confident, but it did I'm not sure it gave me more confidence, but it definitely pushed me into having a more ambition for myself about what I might be able to do for development and for cities and for sustainability. And one of the, it helped me become the head of sustainable places at British Land, where instead of working on developments, I was in a you know leading a corporate sustainability role, working with 
public affairs, but also with the operational side of the business and spending much more time with shareholders and other stakeholders across the kind of breadth of people who were involved with running a, a FTSE 100 property company. And I really enjoyed those years working in that role, but um, eventually realized that I actually did want to work on cities, did want to work on development. So, and that pushed me into finding the, to thinking about career-wise next, what, what could I what could I do or what would I enjoy doing? Well, that's a wonderful segue then for us to ask about what that might be. What's a, tell us a bit more about what came next. So I, I said that I came out of that mentoring program with a real vision for what I could or wanted to do. And you know, I'd written down I, in a kind of loose way, but in a way that meant something to me. I want to be a city manager for a bit of a city or for a city. And so while I was still working at British Land and enjoying what I was doing there, um, and I was learning a lot, and I, I knew this was a, a sort of four or five year career plan. So I wasn't kind of, I was started to have conversations and think about how I could make that career vision come to life for me. And I ended up having a series of coffees and kind of meetings with chief executives and other senior directors at local government around London. And I was really inspired by them because they had a, a huge amount of passion for how you could, for residents, it was always, it was resident first or community first kind of thinking, but also particularly the ones that I spoke to were quite willing to shake things up, to ask the why question. And I'll you know, give a specific shout out to Chris Naylor, who was asking very big questions about how you should run local government and development for the benefit of residents and to make things happen and make it better, make cities better. And I thought, actually, these are people who have the same kind of questions and drive and professional interests that I do. So why don't I look at this as a possible next step for my career? And that's what led me to be working at Enfield. And I was hired at Enfield as a director of in regeneration and environment and in interestingly actually before I started the job <laughs> becoming the executive director of place it sounds a bit weird but I had some very good conversations with the chief executive who wanted to move things around and both of us said you know what this is going to be a massive change for me for me in terms of my career like my abilities and doing things I'd never done before but I was up for the challenge and he and I thought we could you know he was really willing to support me in making it work I want to. I just wanted to ask a question, then, Sarah, about how big a change it was. What, what was what was the first thing you, you sort of noticed? And yeah, so everyone asks about how big of a change it is going from the private sector to work in the public sector, and I think it's helpful to to really illustrate this. When I left British Land, it was a company of about three hundred people, and they wholly owned Brogate Estates, but it was a small company with a large portfolio across the UK. And I went from that to working for Enfield, which has about 3,000 staff and is very place-based. So even if I had gone from a, one private company to another, or public to public, just the shift in culture and in kind of breadth of activity would have been quite dramatic. And so it's, I, I try and separate that out from... You know, there's procedures and policies that you need when you're running a staff of 3,000, including a large manual workforce that you don't need when, you, when you're working for British Land and you've got 300 professionals. So it's, it, they're different, uh, different organizations entirely. But if I separate those things out, 
one of the biggest changes between, at least from British Sand and Insert, is that at British Sand, it took time to make decisions, spent a lot of time thinking in quite some depth about how you could work a development or a retail strategy. But then once the decision was made, things happened very quickly. Whereas in local government, because you have a political leadership who's setting an agenda, actually decisions can be made very quickly if they need to be made, you know, if, if, that's a, if that's the political drive. But the implementation of those things takes longer because we're spending public funds and we need to be to steward those carefully. So that's the, that's the best way to describe the shift of them. But for me, at a kind of corporate level, at a kind of organizational level, for me personally, I went from managing a very small team, but having influence over a large organization to running, I mean, I now run a department of 1,500 people, or 1,500 FTE, uh, doing very operational services, as well as big strategic development projects. And I went, the, the shift in leadership style that was required, I did not underestimate, but reflecting back on it, it is, um, even I'm surprised I survived it sometimes. I bet that is ginormous, isn't it? What did your peers think about it? What did people say to you when, when you when you told them this is what you're going to be doing? Quite a few people were really pleased and impressed. Kind of, you know, that's a great great move to be making. I think it really suits your kind of desire to you know could understand how it suited my desire for to to work at a city level, but also to make to, over time to improve cities for for residents and for and for the planet. If people, no one was rude enough to tell me to my face that, why are you going to work for the public sector? <laughs> um, you know, in, since then, people have asked, have you found it really difficult or things like this? And one of the things I have to say is if you come in at a, you know, I came in at a very senior level in, in local government and I have, you know, we have a constitution and we have uh, regulations, but we also have ways of working that as a executive director, I have every ability to change. And that's been quite empowering if there are procedures which just don't make sense or that are really just getting in the way and are not helping people understand risks and benefits and judge decision making well then let's change those and my willingness to ask the why to challenge the process i guess is the right way of thinking about it is um is something i've enjoyed doing in the public sector so what's been the greatest challenge for you personally the last three years i'll stick on this one with the simple sort of straightforward challenge which is what we talked about in terms of running a team but having lots of influence to having to be a, a fairly strategic leader for a large department with a big variety of services and operations underneath it and having to shift from a management style where you knew you could check in pretty regularly or, or you were seeing people often enough in a small company that you could kind of see how things are going and you could check in and that kind of let's get things moving but then kind of have a more hands-on management style to one now where um, you just, I'm not just simply not able to have that kind of in-depth management, don't have the bandwidth or the capacity and it's not appropriate, I, you know, to do, to do so. And I have a very good team of directors working for me. We have a lot of trust between us, but I've really had to learn to craft the kind of strategic briefing or getting the kind of emotional tone of the leadership up front right and spending more time up front, making sure we've got the right direction and the outcomes clear so that then they're able and empowered to leave. Um, and that shift from, you know, sort of in one way of thinking about having your fingers in the pies 
to just writing the recipe as a good way of doing it. And I you know, have had the challenge of writing good recipes. And they had that's and particularly often working with people on an emotional level about their motivations for for doing that, for cooking in this analogy has been a, a challenge for me. But one I, f- I feel like I'm continuing to learn from, but, you know, enjoyed that challenge. So Sarah, there's something I wanted to ask you then about sort of given sort of the, the transition that you've made then from uh, from list company now to, to uh, the public sector, why should someone else do the same? What, what, what are the benefits then to, um, to an opportunity within, within the public sector, particularly for real estate or development? I'm really glad you asked that question, Nick. It's, there's so much opportunity for people who are really kind of passionate or interested in development to come in. I would really encourage you to consider looking at the public sector because there's a lot of opportunities because most local authorities are being encouraged to do housing development, among other things. You know, at Infield, we've got Meridian Water, which is a major, like, major regeneration project, but we've also got a large house building program and we're doing um, you know, industrial regeneration and joint ventures of different kinds uh, in other areas as well. So there's a huge breadth of, of things that you could work on in the public sector. And that just, it's not just about housing and so people need to, to know that. But because of the pet government public sector pay scales, I can almost guarantee that if you come work in the public sector, we will be empowering you to do probably a job that you have to wait another year or two to do, or maybe a couple another couple of years to do in the private sector. So we will definitely take people with the right mindset, but who maybe don't have all the experience or even some of the experience and empower them in a different kind of role and help them and train them up to do something which they may not have done before. So it's, it's a really good place to take a next step or to change your career because we're in the public sector willing to help people do that. And we definitely hire people who got the right mindset, but not the right experience. And that's a, a great positive thing to be thinking about. The other other good reason is that you have to live with what you build. And it's, uh, you know, if you work for, you know, local authority or even at the GLA level, you know, you're working on a project or whether it's public realm intervention or some, a new cycle lane or it's uh, some homes and then you have, you you know, you're dealing with dealing with it um, as it's, as a lived experience. One of the best things about my job is getting to meet people moving into new homes for the first time. But then, you know, you will see them later on in the parks and they will come up and tell you about how their new house is going or about or if it's a you know business in the town center, they'll go on. You know, you'll hear from them on, about how it's going, whether it's good or whether it's bad and maybe about the loading bays being messed up, for example. at the moment. <laughs> but you have to live with what you've built. And that is for someone who wants to make, you know, who's passionate about uh, development or design or about cities, that benefit of physically living with what you built is a real positive part of working in the public sector. Uh, well, Sarah, as we, we sort of head uh, towards the end of the recording now, I've got a, a couple of sort of quicker, short fire sort of, sort of questions now to get across to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to talk about sort of the, the, sort of the future um, and maybe what you wanted to achieve next. Okay, so looking to the future is, I'm someone who in my career is always like, well, not always, but since I've done that mentoring program, been really focused. I, I sit down every four or five years and write down what I want to do and kind of vision and plan out a career for the next four or five years. And I'm at that place, I've been in Enfield now for three and a half. And so I haven't quite done that for the next, what I want to do next. But I 
I'm really enjoying working on a specific bit of city. And well, I'd like to continue working on a specific place in my next career. I think that's just, it has the satisfaction that I personally get from seeing things built and living with them, as I've just mentioned, is uh, something I want to continue. I don't know if that will mean, what that will mean and how it might mean staying with Enfield. It might be becoming a development director somewhere. It might mean something entirely different. But I know that's what gives me a huge amount of satisfaction, what I enjoy getting out of bed in the morning for. And so one of my regular questions then, Sarah, throughout this is around people's own take on their personal success within within their career or what they're looking to achieve. And I think sort of given you've had such an interesting sort of switch in the people you've chosen to work for as well, I wonder if, if that has at all sort of shaped your ideas on how successful your career has been so far. I don't think the change in who I've worked for has shifted my definition of success, thinking about it. I mean, for, success for me is being able to point at or go visit a bit of city or some buildings or a park that has that just that just works and people enjoy and that's good that you know that's been designed to be really low energy and then ideally with less carbon emissions and that it's you know it's adding to the to the planet rather than taking away from it and I don't think my definite that's that that definition hasn't changed I've just come at it from slightly different ways over time so Sarah finally last question I'm going to ask you now is the people who are listening to, uh, to the pod now are looking for for lessons. They're looking for how they can learn from your experience. Mm-hmm. Now, your experience last three years, running a workforce of 1,500 people, what advice would you give to anyone aspiring to, to get to that level of management or sort of leadership? First of all, I'd say that none of, none of this comes naturally. Like, don't assume that I, as a as executive director, just suddenly walked into this and knew how to do it. I had a lot of help along the way. I had some really good mentors and some coaches who helped me into the role that I'm doing now. And also, don't assume that I've had or that somehow really senior managers are all that different than you. I mean, I, I've consciously, I think, tried over the past three years to not radically change my behaviors and how I work and how I, I mean, I've changed my leadership style, but in terms of my personality and, or maybe the way I dress or the way I've act, I've tried not to change those so much because I think, well, first of all, it's important to stay true to who I am, but it is, you can, they're all different shapes and sizes of leaders and people, uh, I've gotten some very good feedback from colleagues at Enfield about being human and being accessible and that's just so keep that in mind if you're looking if you're looking up that we are just as human as you are. Well, Sarah, on that really sort of positive sort of note, let's draw it all to a close. Thank you again for for joining me and sharing sort of the journey and the lessons you've you've learned. So I've no doubt sort of everyone listening will find it really really useful. Thanks, Nick. I've really enjoyed it. The Urban Land Institute is the oldest and largest network of cross-disciplinary real estate and land use experts in the world, with more than 45,000 global members. The ULI's ethos of personal development makes them an ideal collaborator on our podcast, and we encourage our listeners to learn more and become members by signing up at uli.org forward slash join, quoting the promo code ACRE. Thank you for listening.